0: Of all the things that they face—the blizzard, the starvation, the having to to uh, go and hunt for seal and whatever they could find to eat—two uh, years in the frozen Antarctica. This is before satellites, before cell telephones. People long thought they were dead, and there they were surviving on these ice floes, trying to paddle. And oh, it's just—it's a—it's a story beyond belief. But this particular doctor, Dr. James, said of all the things they faced, there was one thing that was the most horrible, the most absolutely uh, difficult. It wasn't the blizzard. It wasn't the cold. It wasn't the horrible conditions under which they were living. But there was one thing that he said more than anything else got to them. And I read a little bit from his diary. He said, I long, and I hope you're not offended by this diary, but this is a quote. He said, I long for a place where the direction of the wind does not matter a tinkerer's cuss. We suffer from aminomania. And then in parentheses, he gives us the definition. He says, wind madness. Now, this is an old English word. You'll have to have a very good Oxford Dictionary to find it, because most modern dictionaries will not have this word in it, but it is a a true English word, aminomania, wind madness. The disease, he said, can be exhibited in two forms. Either one is morbidly anxious about the wind's direction and gibbers continually about it, or else a sort of lunacy is produced by listening to the other aminomaniacs. The second form is more trying to hear, And then the good doctor confesses, I have had both forms of this disease. Wind madness is when the wind can never be ignored. When you have to get up every day and face the fact that the wind determines your destiny, you set your sails according to the wind. Your progress is slowed or enhanced according to the wind. The wind brought the cold, the wind brought the warmth, the wind mysteriously and with secret powers affected the presence of wild game and fish, seals, whales, birds. All were in some unknowable way in the grip of the wind. And further, as the reality of the wind's power to set the schedule, to set the mood, and to literally determine the fate of every day, these brave adventurers became increasingly more aware of their powerlessness and forced to deal with the wind incessantly caused wind madness. And I'd like to talk to you tonight on this subject, wind madness, and I'd like to suggest to you that what is wrong in the so-called religious world today and what is wrong in the pursuit of spiritual happiness and many people are pursuing spiritual happiness spiritual maturity spiritual development make no mistake about it we're not the only people interested in a spiritual life and many people interested in having a mature and important spiritual life but there's something gravely wrong in religion today something is not right because so many people that are out searching for answers and searching for a touch and searching for an anointing and searching for some kind of word are not finding the rest and the peace and the joy that they really want and I'd like to suggest that one of the reasons is because many people are afflicted with a form of madness wind madness And I'd like you to stay with me just for a moment because we need to get this idea if we can. Wind madness in a spiritual context may be understood to mean that we cannot really discover and walk within the context of the real. We cannot really know God as we ought to know him because we are overtly concerned about the winds of popular opinion. We're concerned about the winds of this doctrine or that doctrine and our lives have become so, uh, so, in, in, so, how shall we say, so enslaved by public opinion, so enslaved by political correctness. Preachers are having a hard time preaching the word today because the congregations suffer from wind madness. They're afraid to really believe because in believing what the Bible says, they may be rejected by their relatives or by their friends or by their community or they may, in fact, lose their job. If you can get denominal preachers to talk to you honestly, they will tell you that it's very, very difficult for them to proclaim the real truth of the Bible. Pop psychology has taken the place of real Holy Ghost preaching. But it must not happen in our apostolic churches. Is there anybody here that believes we need a fresh touch of courage and faith? See, wind madness, every day, Dr. James said, every day, Brother Shoemake, the wind determines whether or not they would have something to eat. The wind determined if they would be able to make progress. The wind determined whether they were going to be hot or cold. The wind determined how they were going to feel. The wind determined the attitude and the spirit within the heart and the emotions of the men that were trapped on the Antarctica. And he said every day, every night you had to worry more than anything else about the wind. You were totally dictated to by the wind. Now it is a terrible thing to imagine what the horror of this must have been as a matter of fact the doctor says at a point you just became completely uh, insane you became a lunatic you couldn't stand it any longer you know I just got to feel now this is just me you don't have to go along with me here but I really do think there is a feeling of despair in this world today there's a feeling of emptiness there's a feeling of just a complete disappointment because people are so uh, they feel so much pressure to be liked they, they feel so much pressure to, be, uh, to not be criticized. They feel so much pressure to make sure that they're not against the things that are supposed to be cool. Mr. Novak in one of his columns this week said, Yes, it is true if you took a poll that most people in America are opposed to homosexual marriages. Maybe as many as 60 or 70 or 80 percent in some polls. But he said the issue is not what Americans believe. The issue is whether or not Americans have the courage. I don't know if anybody's gonna help me preach here tonight. The issue is whether or not America's gonna have the courage to stand for what they believe, to vote. Now I'm starting to feel strong in the Holy Ghost now. Whether or not America is going to have the courage to vote their convictions, to believe their convictions, to decide how they spend their money according to their convictions—I don't know how you feel about it—but we need some new faith, some new courage, some new determination. Somebody say yes! yes. Somebody say yes. yes! See, the world is suffering from wind madness public opinion is driving churches markets are driving churches the need to raise money is driving churches the psalmist says that the man of God however is different the wicked man is like the shaft. he is like a, he's like a feather he's blown about by the winds but the true child of God is like a tree planted by the river of water. He is not tossed. He is not driven. He doesn't wake up every morning worried about the wind because he's got a God that's able to keep him. He's planted like a tree by the river of life. By the river of water. Somebody say yes. yes. Oh clap your hands to the Lord. I'm starting to feel better in the Holy Ghost now. I want to speak against wind madness. I'd like the Holy Ghost to come into this place and cure us of wind madness. We don't have to worry what the world thinks about this. Let his name be exalted. Let his word be Be preached. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Now, my Lord. Now there is a strategy for you. I like your strategy, Brother Sergeant. Just take a stand. Just preach the word. Just be instant in season and out of season. There's a strategy for you somebody say hallelujah Hallelujah. Now I'm I'm just uh, I'm running across an article this past two days ago no yesterday yesterday a new book written by Os Guinness now Os Guinness is an interesting religious historian of sorts he's a Harvard trained professor and he writes a lot has taken a lot of time to write about religion and such. He's very keenly aware particularly of the dynamics of evangelicalism and Pentecostalism around the world. He's written a lot about it. His new book is very fascinating. It's entitled Prophetic Untimeliness. Prophetic Untimeliness. And I probably will not do this little short uh, uh, analysis of his column justice but he says in essence that we have working in the church today a college a culture of relativism and he said the question is have all these churches that have been spending their budgets that have been training their preachers to be relevant to the culture all of these people that have been putting on in his words now these kind of gross I better I better him properly these gross hip appalling presentation of the Gospels and he's talking about people that think the best way to present the Gospels is with rock music and the best way to present the Gospels with theater and the best way to present the Gospels is to look like the world and act like the world people say now I'm gonna be controversial see I have a little theory if you come this far to preach you should be controversial just to keep it interesting I mean, you know, generally speaking, I don't know if it's going to happen this time, but usually they pick up your airfare for these kind of things. So, you know, you, you hope to be at least controversial enough to keep people awake. But, you know, there's people that think, well, if you want to go out and you want to reach the world, you've got to go out and dress like the world. You've got to act like the world. You've got to make a church look like a bar instead of a church. You got to, does anybody know what I'm talking about? You know, you got to come to church and throw balloons around, or, or you know, you got to do some kind of thing, and the music sounds like the world, and it's kind of urban and hip hop, and so all of this work. He said, "Isn't it fascinating?" Now, this is Hoskin, it's not Brother Moon. He says, "Isn't it fascinating?" But all of this in a generation when relevance is the big idea, we have to ask the question: Is all of this kind of relevant, so-called relevant evangelism, is it detrimental to the church? And then he answers his own question. It's a rhetorical question. He says, "Yes." It is detrimental. In fact it has not worked he says. The church trying to be relative with the world has actually hindered the cause of evangelism. Now I'm going to give you three things tonight that happen when the church suffers from wind madness. I'm going to talk to you about Os Guinness's three things that he said happens when we get involved in popular culture, when we become so afraid that we're going to offend somebody. He said, in fact, in the same article, he said, in fact, you could document this point. He said, people that really reach a generation, people that really reach a culture are usually the people who set themselves apart from the culture because people who are trapped in the culture don't look to people who are in the culture to get out of the culture. People who are trapped in sin look to somebody that has overcome sin. People with no joy look to somebody with joy. I believe people should come to church and hear a sound they can't hear in the bar. Somebody say yes. I believe people should be able to come to church and hear a joy that is so distinctly different that when they come in the church they say, I never heard anybody sing like those people. I never heard anybody clap like those people. I never heard melodies like they sing. I never saw people with so much joy. And not only that, they should be able to come to church and hear some preaching. like they've never heard before. Can I get a little witness here? Preaching. Preaching that doesn't worry about the wind. You know, we got some preachings all about the wind, you know. I wanna make sure the folks back here are awake. Are you people awake? Have you got wind madness? No wind madness. You gotta get rid of wind madness, you understand? Do you know what wind madness is? Wind madness is when you care what your neighbors think. The cure for wind madness is the Holy Ghost. (laughs) When you get so full of the Holy Ghost that you don't care what your uncle says, you don't care what your brother thinks, you don't care how your neighbors. (laughs) win. When you get rid of wind madness, you can wake up every morning and say, I'm like a tree that's planted by the river of waters. I shall not be moved. We need some old-fashioned apostolics that will get behind your pastor and say, preach, pastor. Preach holiness. Preach doctrine. Preach righteousness. Preach Christ preach Christ and him crucified. Don't worry, I need a little help, come on California. Don't worry what the politicians say. Don't worry what the homosexuals say. Don't worry what the rock world says. Don't worry what the hip hoppers say. Get your eyes, get your eyes. Get your eyes on Jesus. Look to him, for he is the author. Oh, he's the author. He's the finisher of our faith. Somebody say yes. You know what wind madness is? Have you got it yet? All right, sit down and get a pencil. Wind madness. Now, someone give for me Ephesians 4, what? 12, 13? I know 14, but let's start a little above. He's set in the church, apostles and prophets. You got it over there? Big number 14 over there? All right, get it. I'm just teasing, you know that, don't you? You look kind of horrified. <laughs> <laughs> Is it your natural look? <laughs> it's the it's the uh, beginning stages of wind madness yeah, yeah. <laughs> A deer in the headlight area he now do you understand how many understand what i'm preaching about so far See, Dr. James said, no, the blizzard wasn't so bad. The cold wasn't so bad. Having to eat seal blubber every day wasn't so bad. What was bad was having to worry about the wind. Now I got a little news for you, ladies and gentlemen. The church does not have to worry about the wind of popular opinion. Doesn't have to worry about what the world thinks. We've got a God. How many know there's a true anointing and a true touch of God? When the church gets so concerned about rele- being relevant and relativism and all that kind of stuff, we get more concerned about preserving the church than we do having revival. Market takes the place of mission. We're more concerned about how many this we can sell, and how many much of this we can sell. This is not—we're not in the marketing business. We're in the preaching business. Somebody say "Amen." Now read for me, Ephesians 4. You may be seated, except for you. I'm going to lean on you. Do you know what wind madness is? Uh, Do you know this brother over here? This brother over here? uh, You're not going to read my verse, are you? No. Why did they give you a microphone? I'm still preaching. Somebody else is going to read the verse. Who's going to read the verse? I'm just leaning on him now. This brother over here, hold up your hand over there. First stage of Alzheimer's. No, wind madness. I'm I'm sorry. Wind madness. Now, folks, this world needs a church that's not trying to play a game. Do you understand what I'm saying? Some churches are taking polls to see if what they preach is going to be popular enough. Apostolic preachers don't need to take a poll. They just need to get their face in the book. You know. I really like Brother Sargent's strategy, don't you? I decided I'd just preach the word and see what would happen. Now that's a novel idea. Why don't we just preach Christ and him crucified? Because I believe the kingdoms of adversity and darkness and all the evil of this world will come tumbling down. I believe I can hear the Holy Ghost say, if I be lifted up, I'll draw Somebody say yes. yes. Wind madness is when all you can think about is what other people are thinking about. Wind madness on a lesser scale is when you walk in the room and you think everybody's talking about you. And you worry about it. The truth is you're not so important as to have very many people talking about you one way or the other. Most people don't know who you are. Did you know most people don't care about your problems? They care about their own problems. 80% of the people that you meet do not care about your problems. Even if you're having problems, they don't care about your problems. And the other 20% are glad you're having problems. So you know the apostolic church needs to get rid of its inferiority complex. Because we're not at the mercy of the wind. We're not caught in the grip of politics. We're not caught in the grip of ecumenicalism. Somebody help me preach now. Now, I don't mean this in a bad way, but if you're gonna be apostolic, you can't worry about what the Pope thinks about you, or what the Lutherans think about you, or what the Baptists think about you. You gotta get up every morning with faith in your heart, with the fire of God on your soul, and say, nothing shall turn me around. Clap your hands, church. Somebody say yes. yes. All right, read for me. Phishians, start wherever you want to. And he gave some apostles. And he gave some to be apostles and some prophets and some to be prophets. And some evangelists. Some evangelists. Some pastors. Some pastors. Teachers. God did this. And teachers. And teachers for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry for the work of the ministry for the edifying of the of the body of the body of Christ till we all till we all come into the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect unto a perfect man unto the measure of the stature of measure the of the fullness of Christ that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, wind of doctrine by the slight of men, by the slight of men and cunning by cunning craftiness whereby they would lie what, and wait hey, to wait deceit. a minute they lie and wait what is this deal what is wrong with us as apostolic when we get all of our leadership cues from the charismatic movement Come on. i'm sorry brother wilson i i can't hardly help myself now you know something something is deathly see God never intended for his church to have wind madness we're just going to be planted we're going to trust him now understand the analogy there's such a thing as a good wind, the wind of the Holy Ghost but I'm, I'm, I'm addressing a particular condition remember I said we were going to talk about it. this is a specific condition we're not going to talk about everything but God wanted you to be planted now what is this what is this deal about getting up every day You know, you're like dialing the radio to see if you can find out what somebody else is saying. Why don't you get in the Word and find out what God's trying to say to the church? If I believe the only resource we had was to take cues from people that don't baptize in Jesus' name and don't have the gift of the Holy Ghost, have never spoken in other tongues, I wanna tell you, I'd be a desperate man. But something inside of me says, there's a God that will still talk to his people. There's a God that will still anoint his church. You want a strategy? A strategy is to get in the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Don't be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Hold your faith hold the light of the gospel somebody say yes. yes now there's three conditions now this let's go back just a moment just let me dwell on this a minute Oskina says that this whole idea of trying to reach the world by relating to the world is a waste of time and he gave us a solution brother young I thought it was kind of fascinating he said we need to preach Duh. <laughs> Whoa! Harvard educated. Preach. Why, of course. God hath chosen the foolishness of preaching. Now watch this. Watch this about preaching. Now I know this is going to be offensive, but I have to I feel like I have to make this point to make the point the way I want to make the point. And since I'm preaching, I want to make the point my way. Actors cannot preach. thank you and preachers can't act now let's explore that just a little bit are you still there God's about to deliver you if you ever had wind disease you're about ready to get rid of it amino mania feel it leaving you right now you can find an actor somewhere in this state probably that can act like a lawyer you can find actors that can do a pretty good imitation of a president you've got an actor that's doing a good invitation of a governor Okay, lighten up! Lighten up! They can play. Now I know you Pentecostals don't know anything about this, so just bear with me. Am I out of time? Are you? Are you? You're holding your hand pretty tight there. You scared? You are married to her, aren't you? (laughs) Well, it's a simple answer, yes or no. (laughs) Or you're getting married. Oh, you're married. Happily, I can see that. (laughs) You can find an actor who can fulfill. But I want to tell you. Now, I I don't know this because I go to movies. But I read this in a magazine. The hardest thing. A very famous actor said and his name will come to me perhaps but the hardest thing for an actor to emulate is a apostolic preacher or a Pentecostal preacher they said he can't really do it and really if you thank you if you turn it around are you still there yeah. one of the first thing that gives away an apostolic preacher if he's trying to act like an apostolic preacher because you need to be true from the top of your head. You know, don't worry so much about your grammar. Worry about your heart. Don't worry so much about how you're communicating. Worry about whether or not you've got the passion and the love and the fire in your bosom to preach the Holy Word of God. Somebody say yes. Yes. But Mr. Guinness, he says, if the church is going to relate, not only that, he says this, all this stuff about trying to relate to teenagers, you know, by trying to act like, you know, you know what I'm saying. He says it's a waste of time. Preach, 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 preach. Because he said what society is hungry to hear is a word from the Lord. Thank you, Brother Guinness. Now, we shouldn't have to have a Harvard professor to tell us apostolic preachers that. We ought to be behind our pulpits every week preaching the word of God without fear and without favor and with no, watch this now, with no sense of caring about which way the wind is blowing. Some people preach like this, you know. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. You know, it's like, this church a real conservative church. I'll, I'll preach on it. church really believes in God. I'll preach on that. And uh, see, uh, okay. on. see, you can't go. If you can't preach this message, see, it's why I don't believe in interfaithism. Right. When I, you know, I, I, I'm with the Lutherans on this. You know, the Lutherans do not share a religious pulpit with Islamics. Or Hindus. Because they say it confuses the people. The Lutherans are right about this. They got this right. If you're a Christian preacher, you cannot hold hands in a spiritual religious contact with Hindus. You know how many gods? I just was in India, came back. Matter of fact, went to Varanasi. Five in in Varanasi alone there are one thousand five hundred temples in in the religion of Hinduism I have no respect for Hinduism I'm sorry not talking about people from India but I'm talking about Hindus I don't have any respect they have a God for almost every body part and a temple built to that God and you can fill in the blanks now this is no this is not an age for mincing words here people you know and in the in the name of globalism and pluralism you know we've got some so-called modern-day very highly sophisticated intellectual Christians, you know that are holding hands with every false doctrine ever corrupt thing Hinduism traps people in a vicious cycle of reincarnation yeah. some of them believe that it takes thousands of years to get out of the entrapment of reincarnation they try their best to die and have their bodies fall into the Ganges rivers I was there and saw it for myself Thousands and thousands of people, old people, that could hardly walk, their legs split and cut because they had walked for thousands of miles, hoping that they could die on the edge of the Ganges, mother Ganges and their their perhaps their bodies would fall into the river and they could escape the horrible idea of reincarnation. Thousands and thousands of times. They are reincarnated, first as a man and then maybe as a goat or a rat or bug or whatever. It's a horrible, horrible religion. It draws all the human creativity and strength out of those people. It's unbelievable. Some of them become so filled with despair that they sit on the side of the road. And, and, and they, they, they are so, they're so into trying to search for the inner self that they don't even bother to go to the bathroom. You can hardly get near them. They sit there in their own stench for months and months until they just die trying to escape. See, I don't have a respect for that. And I I personally, I'm not going to be on a platform. You can do whatever you want to do. I'm opposed to being on a platform. Now, I'm not talking about in a political setting. You know, if we want to dedicate a new park somewhere, that might be okay. But when you're holding hands, saying that any kind of spiritual idea goes, that any kind of religion goes, listen, we don't need the kind of preacher says, I think I'll check out the political win. We just need preachers that will say, I'm here to preach to you the word of God. Somebody say yes! Am I out of time? No. When did I start? Did I start at ten o'clock? Okay, here it is. I gotta finish now. Uh preach. Now what is so hard about that? I don't want to be on the platform in interfaith settings where we're holding hands let's hold hands Hindus and you know God bless you my good Muslim brother you know and all this I'm not going there you can go there if you want to see what you have to understand something happened you know uh, Mel Gibson in his movie about the passion that was the blood the redemptive blood of Jesus Christ you come over to Acts chapter 5 and you find a man by the name of Stephen who faced a, a terrible inquisition and not only that but he Okay, I wish we could. Can we just go there just for a minute? Now I want to show you what Stephen. See, Stephen was not a compromiser, and he was in a very. This is. He is uh, in essence. He's not in essence. He's the first martyr of the church. How many know that? He's the first man that died for his faith. Are you still there? And uh, this is very important because. Uh, where did this happen at? Chapter seven of Jesus Christ right he he's laying it out there he's telling them what happened in the Old Testament and how that they had crucified Jesus Christ verse 51 they're after him they're really putting the pressure on him I know I'm not going to retell the whole story but verse 51 look at him he says he's stiff necked and uncircumcised in heart do you always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did so do you and then he gets down to verse 59 they he they take him out verse 56 and he saw the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God they cried out with a loud voice stop their ears, ran upon him with one accord, cast him out of the city, stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at the young man's feet, whose name was Saul, and they stoned Stephen, calling upon God. And what was Stephen calling upon God? What did he say? Lord Jesus. See, this is not a man holding hands with false doctrine. And I like to think of this as blood touching blood, the blood of Calvary touching the blood of the first martyr. And that has got to be, I believe, the the revival strategy for these last days if jesus died for us then you've got to be like stephen your blood's got to touch his blood the blood of redemption touching the blood of perfect sacrifice the blood of redemption touching the blood of absolute commitment the blood of redemption touching the blood of the passionate people of this generation who are willing to say i am prepared to die for what i believed he has saved me he has redeemed me he has brought me out i would rather have jesus than anything take this whole world but give me jesus can i get a witness come on sacramento would you rather have jesus more than anything in california but it happens everywhere you know in arkansas they made him take down the The Ten Commandments, but you had a case out here in California where a little kindergarten took a New Testament Bible in his backpack and they threw him out of school. You remember that case? (laughs) Imagine the generation we live in where a New Testament in a backpack. He never even got it out of his backpack. Imagine how many people might have died if he had actually held up the New Testament. Or what if he had gone to school with an old and a New Testament, my Lord? I love what Brother Wilson said. This is a time of tremendous testing, but it's also a time of tremendous opportunity. Wouldn't you like to see teenagers all across America just get rid of wind madness and say, I'm tired of what you think about me. I don't care. You know, maybe, maybe we could get young people all over the country and put a big t-shirt on it that says Jesus is God, really make it plain. Don't just say Jesus is Lord, just say Jesus is Lord, God. Or just say Jesus is God. Maybe in small print, what do you think about that? Something like that. And have them all have on that t-shirt under their clothes. Kind of like a super big S, you know, thing. <laughs> and on a given moment, at the same time, orchestrated all across the country from New York to California thousands of young people organized on one day. And at 11 o'clock at the designated hour, they all get up. They all say, oh, is it about time? Watches synchronized all across America. And all of a sudden, all the kids across America get up and go, Jesus. Teachers would pass out all over the place. Principals would die of heart attacks and strokes and they'd run out of jail. That's the kind of defining moment that we need. That's the kind of strategy. Stephen said, you can take my blood, but my blood is going to mingle with the blood of a holy redeemer. My blood is going to mingle with the blood of a spotless lamb. Somebody say yes. Don't be afraid. If you die, you're going to die a champion of this gospel. And it may take some commitments. Three things we lose when uh, when we begin to kind of test out. You know, I get this picture sometimes of Brother Wilson of apostolic guys laying around, you know, tuning in, trying to make, find, you know, the latest channel, the latest radio station, figure out what other people are saying so we can mock them. Now you want to go back and see something very unique. Am I too radical for you? How could I be too radical in this church? Brother Wilson eats radical cereal every morning, huh? Isn't that the right? He puts, he puts thumbtacks in his Rice Krispies just to keep himself tough. Notice he didn't sing tenor tonight in that quartet either, did you notice that? The boy sang bass, didn't he? Yes, Daddy sings bass. that'd be great all you teenagers do that but maybe this is maybe this is a a, you know a time when we need to just kind of turn off the world and say we're not suffering from wind madness here as a matter of fact there's something so unique well let me just put it this way and again I borrow if you can forgive me for this I'm gonna borrow from three things that mr. Guinness suggested that we lose when we start pandering to the world and we start work going down this road of trying to relate He said, first of all, you lose the authority. Now, this is a huge issue because preaching with no authority is just a speech. And there's a lot of good speakers. I I wouldn't deny that, but there's something. I don't know if you know this or believe this or understand this or share this idea, but, you know, there is something. I can't always define it. I teach classes on homiletics and, you know, all the topical preaching and all that at Indiana Bible College and all the different forms of preaching, you know, but I don't understand very much about preaching, really. I've been doing it most of my life. I've probably spent more time in the pulpit than I have anywhere else, maybe except bed. Preaching, eating, and sleeping are the only three things I do. And uh, you can see that I do a lot of preaching and a lot of eating. So, but this, this thing, I don't understand it, but there's a component about preaching that is indeed inexplicable. The power of God, the way communication opens up when the Holy Ghost and in that dynamic, in that formula, there is something called authority and preaching comes across with it. Now I'm not talking about meanness or some some kind of human despotism where people are pushing people around, some kind of controlling attitude. Sadly sometimes preachers get a hold of that. But I'm talking about a real sensitive authority that's a, you know Jesus spake as one having authority and when the church begins to have to you know we suffer from wind madness well which way should we point the sails let's find out what the latest trend is and what the latest fad and what the latest fashion is instead of just focusing on what the word says what do we care you said well, we need to care what the world thinks about us now I understand that I'm sensitive to I want to know I don't want to hurt people but at the same time I don't really care what people because I know. See, the interesting thing about having the Holy Ghost is it sets you free from having to worry about what the world thinks about you. And it really is true. I mean, you can just, you know, you the, the people are so worried in the world about what the world thinks about them, but here we are. You know, we're crazy and we don't even care what the world thinks about. We shout, we speak in tongues, and what do we care? Because we know we have found in him a resting place. Clap your hands, church. So This, this, this kind of living, this, this is not a good revival strategy. This is not a, this is not a good revival strategy because it loses its authority. When you pick this Bible, it says, this is the principle upon which we stand. I cooked in a little restaurant. My sister owned a little restaurant. We had a chef who, uh, I wish I had time to tell you the story. It's a wonderful human story, but he, he hitchhiked across the United States and he would find little cafes and he would, go in and help him and put, put him in business and he was on our doorstep one morning my sister fed him, took care of him thinking he was a bum and he asked if he could spend the night in our restaurant and my sister gave him some soup and money and he's a cot and when we came back the next morning he had stuff on the stove and he had totally retaken calligraphy tools and rewritten the menu and he told my sister, he said let me tell you your restaurant is going to be so famous that the only thing you'll have time to do is run the cash register And we were so far in the sticks. And let me tell you, in the Midwest, you can get pretty deep in the sticks. We didn't even know what an omelet was. (laughs) And I had my first omelet in that little restaurant. This great chef, he had cooked for five presidents, cooked at the Palmer House. And he said, all I need is just one helper in the kitchen to wash pots and pans. And I got that job. as my job. And I worked with that chef for about maybe six months or so. But he said this to me, Brother Shoemaker, and I'll never forget it. He said, always remember what I'm going to tell you, son. And we would he, he taught me how to pick meat. I love to cook. He really inspired me. He said, you can be the greatest chef in the world, but you cannot fix rotten meat. Now, see, you can be the greatest preacher in the world, but you can't fix false doctrine. You can preach. can't preach like this when you get ready to preach you got to say put some good meat on that plate I'm getting ready to grill up something that's going to put a little fat on your bones but it's got to be true it's the truth that sets you free a lie cannot liberate you somebody say yes a lie cannot set you free only the truth can set you free come on California say yes when we when we try to you know do this We lose authority. Secondly, Mr. Guinness said, we lose continuity. Now, you may not think that apostolics are facing this issue, but there's one thing that has defined us pretty amazingly around the world, and that is you can just about go any place, and people are going to pretty much preach the same thing. There's kind of a... There's an identity with it. There's a, a, a continuity to it. There's kind of a, what would you say? It's just, you just, there's a knowing that you know and there's just that family connection and there's that spirit and it all kind of has a, the Bible says a certain sound. See now, when you get away from the book and you get away from standards and you're just out there saying, I just got to win is here. I got to make sure my church is, you know, we got to worry about the community. We got to, why don't we just worry about pleasing the one who redeemed us? So we lose the continuity, not only continuity among ourselves, but we lose continuity with the word of God and with the apostolic mandate given to us in the Bible to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. But fourthly, Mr. Guinness said something else so true. And listen to what I'm gonna say, because when we are afflicted with wind madness, apostolics, when we start trying to figure out how we measure up to the opinions of other folks, see the winds of unbelief when we when we start doing that we lose our identity authority continuity and identity our identity now how important is your identity well pretty important try buying some gas without identity anymore get stopped and have no identity try getting through get on an airplane with no identity Identity is important. Apostolic people have long had an identity that attaches them to pre nicene Christianity. Long before anybody ever thought of the Trinity, there were some people out there preaching one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. Long before anybody ever invented the dogma and the dynamics of the biggest lie ever propagated in Christianity, Trinitarianism. There were some preachers who had gotten their message straight from the deliverer, straight from the Christ. And they preached Christ and him crucified. They knew who he was. God, almighty creator, manifest in the flesh. The holy God, Jehovah of the Old Testament, stepping into time to relieve and deliver the human family. What a mighty God we serve. Is anybody here believes that Jesus is God? That he's the one true God. That is the only way. That there is none other name. There's no other way given to be saved. No other name given among men. Clap your hands, California, if you believe it. Somebody say yes. Somebody say yes. And this is crucial to us, to have this identity. And it is no small thing. Hallelujah. who you are? Do you know what God has done for you? Do you know that he has redeemed you? Do you know that he has saved you? Are you identified with him through this blessed and glorious Acts 2.38 message? Then we should never waver, but like a tree planted by the rivers of water, just stay there. And if ever there was a time to stay there, stay there. Now, could I make a... You you lived in Michigan, Brother Wilson, so maybe you'll appreciate that. I was in a restaurant, and uh, there was a man, true, this is exactly the way it happened, Brother Mark. There was a man, and my wife and I were sitting over here, and uh, he was sitting with his wife. They'd been sitting there at least a half an hour and had never spoken to one another. And, you know, that's okay, I understand that. But, I mean, they didn't have a paper, or book, or anything. They weren't, they weren't writing or anything. They were just eating, and they had a grumpy, horrible, well, a half an hour went into about 45 minutes, and being the kind of crazy person that I am, I could not resist this any longer, and so I uh, I uh, walked up to him and I said, how are you doing? And this man who had not talked for 45 minutes began to talk to me and would not quit. And I found out that he was the captain of a boat who took captain of the locks up in Sault Ste. Marie, and he guided boats through uh, the, the locks up in Sault Ste. Marie. Now that is a wonderful place where the St. Lawrence Seaway ships can come in all the way. The only country in the world where ships can go across the ocean, go through the St. Lawrence Seaway, come all the way down through those locks at Sault Ste. Marie and go all the way to Duluth, Minnesota and pick up oil and corn in the middle of the continent. It's amazing. But there's one little catch. You've got to get through the the the, uh, the locks at Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan. And this was the man who took Those ships through the locks. And here's the way he told me the story, and I'll make it as brief as I can. He said, These great ships come in from all over the world. And he said, Greece, and they come from Norway, and they come from Great Britain. But when they get to those locks, we chug out in a little tugboat, and I go on board, and I salute the captain, and I dismiss him, and I take charge of his ship. He goes down into his quarters, and I am in charge of that ocean-going vessel, and I have exactly 11 feet to spare on each side of the embankment. He said, I have never lost a ship. 30 years, I've been taking ship through the lock, he said, and his wife was bored out of her tree, but I was fascinated. No telling how many times he told this story, but it was a great story for me. And he said, when I get him through the locks, When I get him on the other side, I ring a little bell and the captain, are you listening to me? The captain comes out and I salute him and I say, sir, you can have your ship back. Now, listen to me. I wish I had more time to talk about this. But you see, when you became an apostolic, when you put your trust in that word right there, God never intended for you to have wind madness. You can kiss this world goodbye. Forget about the universities. Forget about the philosophies. Forget about the politicians. Forget about all the heathens. Forget about all the political correctness. Forget about all the trends and the attitudes. By the way, I've checked out some of these religions and my faith still holds. I've I've checked out astrology and my faith still holds. I've checked out Satanism and and my faith still holds. I've checked out Hinduism and my faith still holds. I've checked out Islamicism and my faith still holds. I, I've checked out UFOs and my faith still holds. I've checked out transcendental meditation or whatever it is and my faith still holds. I've checked out the paranormal and my faith still holds. I've checked out voodoo and my faith still holds. I've checked out all kinds of science and religion and philosophy and my faith still holds. Because I went to a meeting one night, something got a hold of me. I spoke with other tongues as the spirit of God gave me the utterance. And my soul, somebody help me now. My soul has been on fire ever since. Somebody say yes. Yes. Say, but Brother Mooney, do you have all the answers? No, but you see, when I went down that altar, Captain Jesus met me there and he said, nice to have you here, Moonbeam. Now, if you'll go to your cabin, please, get you a Diet Coke. And don't think too much. Because yeah. right. it's going to be a tight squeeze. Yeah, right. And when I get you over to the other side, yeah. see. I'm not, I'm not going through this world with my brain power. I'm not going through this world with some kind of physical power. And you know I'm not trying to get through on my looks, but I put my hand in the hand of Jesus Christ. I decided one day to make Jesus my choice. I decided to give him my heart. And one day, Somebody help me preach now. When we get over on the other side, he's going to say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have fought a good fight and you've kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for you a crown. Yeah. Clap your hands, California. Magnify the Lord with me. Yeah stand with me that's the strategy that I would suggest for us don't don't get up and raise your little kite every day try to figure out what what the people are saying what other folks are you know, you got magazines stock stacked to the ceiling trying to figure out what this group's doing, what that. You know, it's interesting about church. Now, please, there's a lot of things we need to change. But, you know, I think of Brother Wilson here. He's a pretty sophisticated guy. But I noticed how just churchy you was tonight. Because there's nothing better than just church. See this is so good I know I've got to quit but you're like a tree you see, planted by the river of water, and God never intended for you to be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine so go down in your prayer chamber and say Jesus take my little boat through these are rocky waters but take me through these are uncertain times but take me through And you need to hold to that book and hold to his unchanging hand. Through every trial, through every test, get a hold of somebody right now. Let me tell you something. You say, well, this is a battle for the preachers. No, this is a battle for every one of you in this place. You need to stand with your preacher. This pastor and and this community getting ready to build an auditorium. Step one, almost 3,000 seats. Step two, 5,000 seats. You're going to fill it. You know, we're not just accidentally doing this. God is going to fill these churches. There's a revival. You can go to any place in the nation. Brother Morgan, you preach all over the country. And young people, ask how many, how many young people feel a call to preach. It, it'll be shocking if 75, 80, 100, 300, 400. Sometimes if the audience is big enough, a thousand young people will come forward. Why is God calling so many people to preach? Because God is getting ready to do something like we have never seen before. I want you to take somebody's hand and we're gonna pray for one another and we're gonna rebuke wind madness. We're gonna to speak to the wind of adversity, the wind of trial, the wind of uncertainty, the wind of false doctrine, the wind that brings pain and suffering and confusion in the name of jesus we come against every doubt we come against all fear we come against all unbelief we ask it now in the name of jesus set us free from doubt set us free from uncertainty set us free from unbelief God, to have a conviction that will hold, a faith that will hold, a determination that will hold, a conviction that will hold. The Holy Ghost is in this place. The Holy Ghost is in this place. If you came to this, if you came to this conference sick, I know I'm not preaching about healing tonight, But I feel led of the Holy Ghost. You came to this conference sick. Why don't you come right now and stand up here? This very first night you can be healed, whatever it is. Maybe this week you found out you had cancer. Maybe you're facing something in your life, a sickness, only God can touch you. God wants to heal somebody this very first night. Just come right on up here and stand. How many know we got a great church? listen to me apostolics if we will stay in the place that God has called us mind our business keep our faith strong God is going to use us if we sell out because we're afraid we will lose our authority we will lose our continuity and we will lose our identity let's not let that happen stay in the word are you determined get behind your pastor Are you determined resist all false doctrine are you determined resist the devil and what will happen he will flee from you Preachers come and lay your hands on these wonderful people who've come here by faith. Come on, wherever you are, preachers just come. It doesn't matter who lays hands on who. Just pray for these good folks.